The issues that matter most, right here. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. For the first time in, in history, California says its population declined last year. State officials have just announced California lost more than 182,000 people last year. The state's population is now just under 39.5 million people. It had shown only very small annual increases for the last several years. State officials are blaming the loss on declining birth rate, reductions in immigration, and an increased death rate caused by the coronavirus. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Yeah, it's not a surprise to me. I don't know if it's a surprise to you. Good afternoon. I'm Drew Mariani. Great to be with you. If you live in California and you notice that there are slightly fewer people around you, you're not mistaken. <laughs> I I, uh, I was wondering when we, look, we knew this was happening. I know a lot of a lot of people are exiting to uh, Texas, to Tennessee, and to, to Florida. The Wall Street Journal reported that since the pandemic began, uh, fewer people have been moving to the Garden State than have been moving out of it. And uh, they said that in total, about 150,000 uh, more people on average left California than entered it during the third quarter of 2021, compared to 60,000 net exits in the first three months of 2020. But researchers at the University of California, Berkeley, believe that the uh, the actual volume is likely bigger since their analysis relies on credit data and uh, is less representative of you know, younger and lower income residents. The San Francisco uh, Bay Area was actually the area that was hardest hit. But, you know, it makes sense, doesn't it? It makes sense given the amount of crime and how expensive it is to live there. I saw Nancy Pelosi uh, earlier today making a comment. Somebody asked her about the crime. I think it was the mayor or some Democratic mayor. And she's like, oh, you know, yeah, there's a crime. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know why. Do you? And I'm sitting back here and I'm thinking, um, what happened just prior to the crime rate? Uh, the liberal policies that have been enacted? You know, the lack of prosecution, the slap on the hand, you, the media stoking the fire. Do you think that has anything at all to do with this? You don't know what the problem is? Come on. You don't think it's the liberal policies that have been put into place that has resulted in this license to destroy, to steal, to rob, to loot. You know, it's tragic. We live in the greatest nation on the planet. I really do believe that. I mean, I'm convinced of that. And citizens in that great state, you know what they're doing now? They're rolling their windows down. They're unlocking their doors. They're taking their valuables out. But they're doing that so that when the thieves come, they don't break and damage the car. You know? I mean, we shouldn't have to do that. Not in this great country of ours. So, you know, we will reap what we sow. In the end, I, I think um, I think we're going to see it. I think uh, voters uh, are getting frustrated and tired. I, I saw another stat where... A lot of people who currently vote, voted for the uh, Biden administration are kind of uh, having buyer's remorse. Um, they're, they're seeing that economically they're not better off this year. Uh, and they're seeing, you know, the rise of crime. They're seeing a lot of these different policies and uh, poll uh, results are showing that a lot of people are uh, are disenchanted. But, you know, the question is, will those in office, those who are scripting these policies and, and advocating for them, will they change um their, their trajectory. No, I guarantee you they won't. They're blinded by their own ideology and agenda. They think this is what's best. They know better than you. And this is what they're going to put forward, period. But it will come back. Uh, it'll come back to sting them, I think, personally. I think we'll see that in midterms. You'll probably see that in, in the general as well. So general elections are still a long way off. And, and three years is, uh, 
it's an eternity, really, when it comes to the world of politics. I, I shared yesterday, I don't know if you were tuned in when I was mentioning this, that uh, there's some talk that um, Hillary Clinton might throw her hat back in the ring. Of course, the Biden administration say, no, 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 Joe's running. Joe's going to run again. I'm thinking, well, I don't think that's a successful <laughs> a successful formula for success. I don't want to get too political here, but but if uh, if you take a look at what's happening, not only on the border and with Afghanistan and with the economy and with mandates, and all, I think America's disenchanted, and, and that's not because he's a Democrat. I'm just saying it's because of the policies that are in effect. Who they run, um, you know, instead of him, I don't know. I don't know if that'll be the case. I mean, Joe may very well run. He may very well run. It won't be Kamala Harris, that's for sure, but... Uh, you know, some are speculating, will Trump run? Will it be a Trump-Clinton rematch? Um, that would be uh, that would be interesting. We'll see. Hey, China's premier, Xi Jinping, uh, I've been tracking and keeping you in the know on what's happening with our greatest uh, competitor, our greatest adversary right now. Uh, Xi Jinping's gaining in power. He can't have any opposition at all. And I've uh, been following a story there. Uh, about a a man named Jimmy uh, Jimmy Lai, uh, I don't know if you heard any of this. If you're familiar with his story, uh, first, I guess let me set the scene. Um, China is building their military, right? They're developing islands in the South China Sea to to claim as as China's, and they're going to put military bases on them. And they're going to threaten their neighbors, and on and on. Uh, and they're jailing people who publicly oppose their aggression, and their oppression. And the latest one to suffer is this guy, Jimmy Lai. He's a media mogul in Hong Kong. He's a billionaire. He's also a Catholic, right? He was baptized uh, back in 1997, and his godfather is Wall Street Journal op-ed Bill McGurn. Bill's been on the program. Uh, Jimmy was sentenced to 13 months in prison for his participation in that 2020 demonstration. Remember that one, the the one that commemorated the the anniversary of the uh, Tiananmen Square massacre? Remember that? Well, He's actually already in jail, uh, supposedly, I think, for some previous alleged crime against the state, and, and he'll serve both sentences at the same time. But on top of that, he's facing charges of violating state security, and those charges could put him behind bars for at least 10 years. Um, for a little more context on what's happening with him, here's a report from CBS. These days, Hong Kong, along with its iconic skyline, might seem peaceful and normal after the 2019 protests that rocked the city. But critics keep pointing out that once democratic institutions are still being hollowed out and that the last pro-democracy leaders are being targeted thanks to China's national security law. Case in point, just after sunrise today, Chow Hengtung, the vice chair of this city's June 4th vigil organizer, was arrested by police. It was just yesterday when she and other members went to police headquarters to say she would in fact not give any information that they had wanted. That included details about the group's membership, its financial situation, and its activities. She also called on Hong Kongers to keep resisting and to keep calling attention to what's happening here in the city. The police had accused the group of being an agent of foreign forces, which is one of the four big red lines in China's national security law, the others being secession, subversion, and terrorism. 
punishment for any of those can be up to life in prison. Now, what's interesting is the historic context. Hong Kong's June 4th vigil has been a major political event, pulling in up to hundreds of thousands of people since the first one was held back in 1990. And the government and the police had always allowed it to happen. I've attended several times myself in the past two decades. Hong Kong has been known as the only place on Chinese soil where the Tiananmen Square massacre can actually be freely commemorated. But with the arrest of more of its leaders, the future of that vigil is even more in doubt. The Hong Kong Alliance will hold an EGM. That's an extraordinary general meeting on whether it will disband after 32 years. All right, a little bit of what's happening there. Uh, of course, Jimmy Lai, um, Hong Kong uh, tycoon, prominent pro-democracy activist. Um, he, as you heard, with two others were convicted in their role for uh, that candlelight vigil. Uh, it's tragic. It really is. You know what he said? He wrote to his lawyer and he shared with him, uh, you know, about um, this is what he said. Uh, and I'll just quote it. He, he wrote to his lawyer about spending time for, for standing up for people killed in, in, in 1989. I don't know if you remember that image of that, that man, the, the sole individual who stood before a tank and stopped everyone there in Tiananmen Square. Uh, stopped all those tanks in their place. It captured the world. It was, I think, one of those very vivid moments of the uh, of, a, of that decade. Uh, but Jimmy says this. He says, let me suffer. Let me suffer the punishment of this crime so that I may share the burden and glory of those young men and women who shed their blood to proclaim truth and justice and goodness. So I just say to you, let's pray for Jimmy. All right, let's pray for others who've been unjustly imprisoned in China. Let's pray for the Uyghurs. All right, let's pray for those who are being persecuted and are willing to suffer beatings and imprisonment and loss of family and loss of life for the cause of freedom. And let's not take our own freedom for granted. And we are the greatest nation on the planet. There's no doubt in my mind. We are champions of liberty. But I'll tell you what, those freedoms that you enjoy can be easily eroded. Don't take them for granted, all right? Uh, pray for Jimmy. The, the Senate has dropped a plan, too, uh, speaking of uh, military, uh, that would require women to register for the draft. This was a story that came up. A lot of people didn't think it was a good idea. I've had military personnel call in and, you know, I, I'm all for women serving in the military. I can I can see that. What their roles are, I think, needs to be defined. Um, right now, uh, all males 18 and older have to register with the military in, in case there's a war. And, of course, Congress then decides, you know, if it you know, could always reinstate the draft. But for some reason, people thought it would somehow advance women's equality, right? That's, let's advance women's equality, right? Let's throw them into the mix. Let's make them eligible for the draft. But you know what? Uh, <laughs> there was a lot of blowback to the centers from their constituents. In fact, it was overwhelming, so huge that uh, the provision was dropped from the National Defense Authorization Act. And the current bill right now is not perfect. Uh, but at least your daughter won't be uh, be drafted should the, the need arise. So that's... Uh, that's not bad. Um, we got a lot to talk about today, and I hope you will stay with me. If you want to join me at any time, the number is 888 uh, I do want to talk a little bit about the weather. 
You know, uh, I'll tell you what, that was unbelievable. Last night, and it was probably about 10 or 11 o'clock, one of my producers, a guy named Tom Siscavage, um, he, he, uh, he lives in Minnesota, right? And he lives in a, in a house that um, is kind of vulnerable to, to high winds, the way it's located and where it is. Now, his wife and his son, they were out at work somewhere, or they were at home, and uh, he gives me a call and he says, could you please pray for me? And I'm like, what's up, Tom? He says, there is a tornado racing uh, our way. Now, look, this is like a, an unprecedented event. You're talking about December in Minnesota, right? Temperatures normally then are, the, the ground's covered in snow and ice, right? It's normally freezing in those northern states. Um, I, I got this text, and he says, would you pray? So I said, look, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray the chaplet of divine mercy for you right now, this very moment I'm going to pray. I remember a woman one time, she was in Tornado Alley, and uh, there was a tornado racing down where she lived, and um, she didn't have time to get out. It was not that far away, and she was not in a very safe place. I mean, she was, I think, in an apartment building or a home on the second floor, and the only thing she could do is get into the bathtub, right? But if this thing was to strike, it was going to be absolute devastation for her, absolute death, right? And what she did was she took out her beads, and she began to pray, the chaplet of divine mercy. And she prayed it over and over again. She heard what was just an absolute roar, sounded like a freight train driving right towards her place. The building shook, things fell off shells, glass shattered, and she was terrified. She prayed harder, she prayed more intensely. She prayed for God's mercy. And after what seemed like an eternity, the roar stopped, the shaking ended, and she didn't get out of that tub till the sun came up. And when she did, she walked out her door and she looked around and it was as though a bomb had gone off. She said, this tornado left a path a mile wide, five miles long, and every building around her place was devastated, everything. It was almost as though she said she was in a bubble of protection. It was hard for her, she said, to describe. Uh, the only explanation was that as this tornado got close to the building she was in, it leapt, it jumped right over the building and landed on the other side, continuing its deadly wrath of destruction. It's one of those great stories of the power of the chaplet of divine mercy. And if you looked at this from the sky, if you took the aerial, uh, her home alone stood. Uh, that's the power of prayer. So my producer, when he called me last night, I said, I'm going to pray the chaplet for you right now right now and uh, you know he lives as I said Minnesota it's December um, tornado warning what is up with that right so he took shelter we prayed and again um, everything turned out all right for him thank God but I, I'm just struck in the middle of December in Minnesota tornadoes right bizarre weather that we're seeing right look at the devastation that just happened last week and, and look what's happening now uh, he, of course, wasn't alone. Uh, CNN reported at least 55 reports of hurricane-force thunderstorms. There was wind gusts of 75 miles per hour across the Great Plains and the Midwest. And according to the National Weather Service, uh, their Storm Predictor Center, the most recorded uh, tornadoes, uh, you know, in, in the U.S. in one day. Uh, that's to me, is amazing. 55 reports of hurricane-force thunderstorm wind gusts, 75 
mile per hour were made across the, the, the plains in the Midwest. Uh, more than 400 severe wind reports came across the region to early Thursday, and you might have been in the crosshairs of that with alerts impacting, uh, they estimate some, something like 80 million people. Houses, businesses were damaged all across the area. Semi-trucks, trucks, I mean, they were overturned by these strong, unbelievable winds as they were driving across roads. And this follows, again, just to give you a perspective, I like to look at the big picture, the outbreak of tornadoes that happened late last week, resulting in more than 70 people being killed in Kentucky alone, and the storm impacted, of course, several states. question is, of course, what's going on? And in just a second, Mike McGuire will be joining me. We'll get his take. But Maggie, let me ask you quickly. You just said we had a tweet on this. What's coming in on our Twitter regarding the storms? Yeah, we did. Uh, Andrea wrote to us and said, yesterday I requested prayers for us uh, in Nebraska as storms and tornadoes were rolling through during the hour of divine mercy. We prayed the chaplet in our basement, and thankfully, only moderate damage in my family was okay. No power loss. Well, praise God for that. Yeah, isn't that well, amazing? Yeah, I love it. The power of prayer, I'm convinced, works. It brings protection. I'm joined right now by Mike McGuire. He was chief meteorologist at WEHT-TV in Evansville, Indiana. Now a very successful full-time commodity trader. His knowledge of meteorology and commodities go hand in hand and you can find out more about him at marketforum.com i always uh turn to my resident meteorologist here when it comes to these weather events mike good to have you with me good afternoon thanks for inviting me drew uh it, sadly i am being invited at a, a a very uh horrific time with regards to the outbreak of severe weather but i appreciate you inviting me on yeah there are some um weird weather events Going yes, on. you know, as a meteorologist, I live for this stuff, but, you know, sometimes as a human being, it's just so hard to not let the emotion and compassion overwhelm me when, I'm, when I see what it does to people. Uh, for instance, last week, uh, a day before, the, uh, we had the outbreak that, that, that Kentucky tornado was actually in my area, just 60 miles south of here, and at the time the day prior we didn't know if that was going to hit our town evansville so right. so i have uh 300 families and teachers in my chess program and i, I was giving them constant updates on the weather uh, beginning 24 hours prior to the event and uh and during the entire course of the event and thank god it stayed south of us but i got to see something that i'd never seen before on a Doppler radar, which is uh, a new mode that they call the tornado debris signature. Wow. So uh, I'm watching this with my wife on, on the uh, local TV station and going back to my computer and monitoring it. And, and we're, we see these uh, enhanced colors that represent not the rain or the wind like a conventional Doppler or Doppler radar, but instead it represented uh, debris which mainly was people's property, their houses, their wow. their possessions, their belongings, and you could see this well-defined, colorized signature that kept stayed there for hours and wow. kept tracking slowly northeast. And and you just knew while you're watching this, this is people's property, this their lives, their cars, their houses. That's it's on the radar. The technology is able to show us that, and thank God, warn people that were, you know, in touch with the technology, so they go go to a safe place. Ninety-five percent of 
uh, of the lives that were lost 100 years ago are saved by the technology. So uh, I knew what was going on, but you're just seeing colors on a screen. So then the next morning, the sun comes up, and they sent out drones to take some vivid video and pictures of the devastation. And when I saw that, I, I knew what it was. I knew what I was going to see, but after, but seeing it, it just brought me to tears, realizing the devastation that was caused by these violent tornadoes. It, it's 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 just it, it's hard to to, to yeah. you know. It was a frightening day yesterday. A friend of mine texted me. He said his daughter flew into O'Hare last night, and just before they stopped the flights, she says they landed. But it was the most harrowing landing she ever experienced um i'd love your take on this there are some attributing the weird weather to global warming or to climate change we are seeing strange storms strange are these anomalies or is there something else going on here well what's interesting is that all tornado outbreaks this was a pretty unusual to happen in december by by all means and and you said a, a record number, but I think that's probably the record number for December that you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier because we've had no, more you're right. in the spring. You're right. But you're right. but but these tornado outbreaks in December are pretty unusual. But it's being caused by the cold air in Canada right now. Every tornado outbreak that has ever happened was were caused was caused by a very strong jet stream, which causes the intense storms to rotate and turn into violent tornadoes, and you cannot have a strong jet stream unless you have some extremely cold air to the north, and then south of that is where you have your warm, humid air. And right now, in Canada, temperatures are well below zero, as much as, as cold as 40 below zero. If you took that away, none of this would have happened. So it's the contrast between that extreme cold and the warmth to the south, unusual warmth, 60s all the way up to Minnesota yesterday, and yep. and then the the jet stream that tracks between the cold and the warm air, 150 mile an hour jet stream yesterday, racing wow. over the upper Midwest and taking these thunderstorms in the warm humid air and spinning them, rotating them, and turning them into violent tornadoes. But the the main uh, feature that caused that wasn't you needed the warm humid air but more importantly you needed the extreme yep. cold in canada to cause that jet stream well mike i'll tell you hang on one second i'll take a short pause when we come back we'll talk sure. a little bit more and uh, i'd love to look at what's coming i know there's currently a la nina sure. happening what's that yep. mean for the future of our own weather plus a little bit later in the next segment, JFK's assassination. I don't know if you heard this story. National Archives, they have just released nearly 1,500 confidential documents. We'll take a look at the mystery of that assassination, well, of the assassination of JFK. Stay with me. More straight ahead. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit RelevantRadio.com slash Forrester. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. And yeah, we'll pray the chaplain coming up in about 30 minutes. Fill you in on the confidential docs on JFK. And right now, if you're joining me, we're taking a look at this bizarre weather. 70 people killed in Kentucky alone. That storm last week. 
of course, impacted several states. The president went and vowed to do everything he could in his power to restore uh, uh, those those beaten and destroyed territories. Of course, last night, uh, a lot of people concerned about their own safety with incredibly high winds and tornadoes and severe wind reports. I've enjoyed it. I've invited today uh, Mike McGuire, a very gifted uh, meteorologist and a commodity trader, to join me for some perspective on this. I'll even for a moment or two. If you want to follow him, it's marketforum.com. You can get plugged in there. I, I'm, I'm curious about what we can expect, Mike, in the future. There's currently La Nina happening. Um, I know that impacts weather. What do you forecast, if you could, uh, for the not too sure. distant future? That, that's a wonderful question. I'll answer it in a second, but I didn't want to mess up your commercial break earlier by going too long. But there's a very relevant point to be made about this tornado outbreak and global warming. The, the fact that we just had one, it's fresh in people's mind, and they don't remember one like it. But the fact is, over the last 30 years, violent tornadoes have decreased 40%. And the reason for it is actually global warming. As I explained earlier, you need cold air to the north to produce a strong jet stream. Well, we've warmed the highest latitudes the most. The Arctic, Canada, has typically warmed the most, so that's decreased that temperature gradient that you need, and it, it's reduced the pool of colder air so we don't have as strong of jet streams that we had before climate change and global warming. So the reality is, even though this particular event was was the probably the worst in December history, the amount of, of violent tornadoes uh, over the last 30 years has decreased because we haven't had the cold air that we have right now in Canada. And one of the factors in that cold air in this pattern is, as you mentioned, the current La Nina. We've had a La Nina now, the signature of a, of a La Nina, and an official El Nino part of that time since early 2020, so over a year and a half. And during that time frame, La Ninas cause cold to the north and warm to the south. So they're ideal. That We find out that the, the years with the most violent tornado outbreaks are La Nina years. So this is a natural cycle. And also we find out that most droughts in the United States are caused by La Ninas for the same reason. We have cold, dry air coming down from the north, and we don't get as much rain. So the current drought that's out west into the plains that has been very severe at times is being caused by the La Nina, which is also causing the wildfires to be worse. What we, the best thing that could happen right now to uh, eradicate the drought and mm -hmm. increase rains would be for us to have global warming and uh, 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 and more rain because uh, La Nina is cold temperatures in the east and right. central tropical Pacific. You can't get cold temperatures from global warming. It's the opposite. But when we have global warming, we have El Ninos. El Ninos increase the moisture coming out of the Pacific, and they uh, decrease the chances of drought, and El Ninos and global warming are actually more beneficial to the weather in the United States. So this gotcha. current La Nina, which we saw coming for a long time, and we see 
trying to predict the weather is almost impossible after two weeks because the atmosphere changes so much. But water temperatures don't change that rapidly. So we can see La Nina's and El Nino's for months and months ahead of time. With that being the case, the current La Nina we see continuing through the spring. So the, the, uh, even fortunately, we're seeing some unusual rains along the West Coast, even though we have the La Nina out there. It, uh, the, the odds for us to continue with the drought are elevated wow. uh, through the spring just because of That's the rough. La Nina. Well, hey, I want to thank you, uh, Mike, for being with me for your time and always making yourself available. It's been great to talk to you throughout the year. I know you and I will talk again as we approach the new year as well. So thank you. I I hope you have a great Christmas. Happy New Year to you. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Merry, Merry Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, too. That's Mike McGuire giving us some perspective on what we are now seeing regarding the weather and why it is indeed impacting us. I could talk to him for an hour about the issue, but as you know, we got a lot to get into today, and uh, I do want to touch base very quickly, if we could, on these confidential docs on JFK. Yesterday, the National Archives released hundreds of previously classified documents related to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, nearly 60 years after he was fatally shot that day in, in Dallas, Texas. Here's a little bit from CBS to explain. Among the documents released today is this CIA cable saying that Lee Harvey Oswald was in Mexico City two months before the assassination, seeking a visa for Cuba on his way to the Soviet Union. The notes, dated September of 1963, also say that Oswald speaks in broken Spanish. On the same day, Oswald visited the Cuban consulate in Mexico City three times requesting an in-transit visa to Cuba, with Russia as the final destination. Within hours of President Kennedy's killing on November 22nd, police arrested Oswald for the shooting. Oswald himself was killed, shot in the stomach, while being walked through police headquarters. For 58 years, investigators and historians have been asking whether Oswald acted alone. Today, the National Archives released some 1,500 documents, but another 10,000 remain a secret, fueling speculation that the government is stonewalling. Philip Sheenan has studied the Kennedy assassination. Do you think the government is hiding something? I think they're hiding a lot of evidence to suggest incompetence, that the CIA and the FBI knew a lot about Lee Harvey Oswald in the months before the assassination and failed to act on that information. Back to Phil Sheenan, a former New York Times reporter and author of the commission, will be joining me in just a second here. And um, just to give you a perspective, I don't know where you were, how old you are, but 1963 was a long time ago for a lot of people. In fact, the majority of people alive today, uh, you know, weren't alive maybe 58 years ago. But reverberations of that event continue to resound today. Uh, the day, of course, saw the assassination of a beloved president. You know, Lee Harvey Oswald, of course, was arrested, accused of killing him. As you heard, he was shot in the stomach being paraded through the police uh, headquarters there. Uh, two days after Oswald allegedly killed the president, um, you know, he was brought before this federal judge for his initial appearance. And on the way out of the courtroom, Jack Ruby was waiting for him. Was there something to that? You know, was there more than one person involved? Was he alone? You know, was he assassinated for a particular reason? There's been a lot of theories about JFK's death, and they've run the gamut, but 
Government's kept a lot of those uh, records related to it secret. And no one outside of the government has been able to access them. Well, a couple years ago, uh, Donald Trump, President Trump, uh, decided to allow some of those papers to be released. And everybody was all excited about it. I remember when they were released, there wasn't any smoking gun, so to speak of. Uh, Early in his term, President Biden, he issued an executive order decreeing, you know, the release of more of those papers by yesterday. And they hit the... uh, they hit the public. The National Archives posted them on their website, and now scholars and others are just pouring through those fifteen hundred pages, and hoping to find something that reveals what went down that day. You just heard Phil uh, Sheenan in that CBS report. As I said, he's a very gifted author. Uh, he wrote the book, The Commission. Former New York Times reporter. The Commission, by the way, uh, is a history of the nine eleven Commission. It's well worth a read. His latest book, A Cruel and Shocking Act: The Secret History of the Kennedy assassination. And if you find this intriguing, you will love that read. Hey, Phil, thank you for your time. Thank you for your writing. Good afternoon. Thanks, Rick. Nice to be with you. Yeah, it's nice to be with you. Uh, These documents are released. I'm sure you're looking forward to see what is going to come out of those. But is there anything in the release uh, so far that is a major revelation? What are we discovering? Well, it's going to take days or weeks or months to really figure out what's in these documents. But in truth, we have actually seen all of these documents before. They were released in the 1990s as a result of the furor over Oliver Stone's movie JFK. Uh, And what happened yesterday is they were released again with fewer redactions, you know, words that had been blanked out before, uh, names that had been blacked out before. We could see them for the first time. And the scholars who've been through them so far haven't found any blockbuster information in there, any bombshells. And in truth, the National Archives suggested that there would be a very limited release this year because their their process of declassifying the documents got gummed up by, by COVID. But there should be a bigger right. release next year, and we should have more answers uh, this time uh, in 2022. Yeah, so for those who aren't you know, intimately connected with the, the assassination, what are some of the biggest questions that surround it surround the assassination well i mean you know every question is asked about the about the assassination nobody there seems to be no uh, common shared truth about the assassination which is a shame because that that produces the modern era of conspiracy theory Uh, there's a lot of question as to whether or not anybody knew that Lee Harvey Oswald was going to kill the president did anybody encourage him did they help him do that uh, and a lot of these documents that we have seen over the last 20 years that have been declassified uh, are about this mysterious chapter in the saga of the assassination, which is several weeks before the assassination. Lee Harvey Oswald, who is a self-declared Marxist, goes to Mexico City, and the documents that were declassified show that he met there with Cuban spies and Russian spies. He even met with a KGB assassinations expert. And the question became becomes whether or not anybody he met in Mexico uh, told him that they would help him do what he was going to do and maybe even offered to help him escape if he's ever able to carry it out. And it sure looks like the FBI and the CIA were really eager not to reveal what they knew about this Mexico City trip because they had him under they had Oswald under surveillance at the time. Isn't it possible they had clues they could have acted on to save the life of President Kennedy? Yeah, so why was that never fully investigated? I think both the well after the assassination, both the CIA and the FBI were absolutely determined to prove that Oswald 
was this, you know, uh, misfit, this uh, delusional young man Mm -hmm. whose plot to kill the president they could have never stopped. Well, the truth we have learned over the years is that actually both the CIA and the FBI knew a lot about Oswald before the assassination, knew that he was a threat, knew that he might even be talking openly about killing the president. And if they had just acted on the information in their own files, they could have rounded up Oswald before the assassination and Kennedy would have survived his trip to Dallas. But but they were so terrified that they would be blamed for incompetence, that they would be blamed for having bungled the information they had about Oswald, that they did their best to cover it up. Yeah. You know, what's your theory on this? You know, there have been a lot of different theories that came out. CIA could be the the mafia, the mob, uh, could be Russia. Could be just you know Oswald being being delusional or crazy. I mean, what's your theory? Who, what do you who do you think was behind all this? Was there two shooters? What happened? Well, you know, unfortunately, uh, the investigations over the years, especially the investigation by the Warren Commission, were so shoddy that questions that should have been answered or could have been answered half a century ago never were, and we're left with those mysteries right. today. You know, I think all the most credible evidence points to Lee Harvey Oswald as the shooter in Dealey Plaza. That was his rifle. That, that, that was his, um, those were his bullets. Um, right. He was there. He was the only person uh, to leave the Texas School Book Depository on, after the assassination and flee. Uh, he, it's very clear he killed a, a, a Dallas police officer shortly after the assassination of the president. All of the best evidence points to Oswald as the, as the gunman. And virtually all of it points to him as the lone gunman. You know, there was a lot of speculation about a second shooter. There's just no credible evidence of it, unfortunately. Um, uh, and, you know, what was in Oswald's head? Well, unfortunately, right. he is killed two days later by Jack Ruby, which produces yep. just a mountain of new conspiracy theories about oh, whether yeah. or not Ruby had been dispatched to silence Oswald. Uh, it sure looks like Oswald was a delusional young man. Uh, a very committed Marxist. Remember, he once tried to defect to Russia, who was trying to get to to get to Cuba. And the the theory is, and again, you can't really know exactly what was in Oswald's mind, is that he was he was uh, killing Kennedy uh, in defense of Fidel Castro. And what do we know now? We also know that Kennedy, throughout his presidency, was trying to assassinate Castro. If some Cuban agent set out to kill Kennedy, it may have been an attempt to. To, to kill Kennedy before Kennedy could kill Castro. Fascinating theory. Well, what about Jack Ruby? Uh, what, what do we know about that? Uh, what drove him to do this? And, and as you pointed out, I, you know, a lot of conspiracy theory uh, surrounding that assassination as well. Well, you have to believe that if Ruby didn't kill Oswald, there would have been a trial of Lee Harvey Oswald, where a lot of questions would have been resolved in the public's mind, I think. Uh, but the but the murder of Oswald two days after Kennedy's murder just produced a flood of conspiracy theories that we're still living with. You know, Ruby was a, a strip club operator in Dallas, um, uh, kind of a blabbermouth, uh, delusional in his own way, um, absolutely devoted to President Kennedy uh, and the Kennedy family, uh, becomes very emotionally distraught after Kennedy's assassination. And he sets out to kill Oswald, I, I believe he sets out to kill Oswald uh, in defense of the honor of the Kennedy family. And, and Ruby says he does it because he doesn't want to force Jackie Kennedy to return 
to Dallas for a trial of Lee Harvey Oswald. If he kills Oswald, there will be no trial, and Jackie will be spared the trip to Dallas. A lot of that makes sense. But Ruby was a guy. He had he had you know ties to organized crime. He had visited Cuba. He had connections there. So there were a lot of theories, and and understandably so that that uh, that Ruby had been dispatched by somebody else, maybe organized crime figures, uh, to kill Oswald. Again, there's no credible evidence to back up right. those theories, but they were certainly offered throughout these last 50 years. It really is a fascinating story. As many books have been written, motion pictures have been produced on it as well. You just came out with a uh, book, your latest, A Cruel and Shocking Act, The Secret History of the Kennedy Assassination. Where could people find that, and, and what will they discover in reading that? Well, you can find it on Amazon and everywhere else, and I, I always encourage people to buy it at your local independent bookstore if you can. And I'm sorry, your second question? I said, what will they discover in it? And what's it all about? Well, see, it's, it, I set out, um, this was 2008 after my first book. I sent out to interview, I, I thought, after my first book came out about the 9-11 Commission, I got a call uh, from a prominent uh, American lawyer who said he'd been on the staff of the Warren Commission, and wouldn't I like to do a similar book about the Warren Commission as I had just done a book about the 9-11 Commission, and he promised to help me. And so I set out over the course of a couple of years to interview everybody who was still alive who knew something about what happened on the Warren Commission, because there had never been a history of it before. There were a lot of mysteries about the conduct of the Warren Commission. So I talked to everybody who was still living. Um, and, uh, and in the course of doing that, I, I, I stumbled upon a lot of these mysteries about the assassination and, and determined they'd never been resolved. And, and all this business about Mexico city had never been, uh, thoroughly excavated. So I spent a lot of time in Mexico trying to get to the bottom of that. So it sort of became two stories, one about the, uh, two yeah. books, one about the history of the commission and another about trying to resolve so many of these mysteries about the assassination itself. Well, it's called A Cruel and Shocking Act, The Secret History of the Kennedy Assassination, written by Phil Sheenan. That's S-H-E-N-O-N. Phil, thank you very much for your time and for your writing. Appreciate the conversation today. My pleasure. Thank you, Drew. That's Phil Sheenan. Got to take a short pause. Stay with me. When I come back, uh, we'll change gears. In fact, let me tell you, I'll share with you, there's a theory about the Kennedy assassination. Some say the Kennedys were cursed. I'll fill you in. Hi, Drew Mariani here. Hey, I am traveling to the Holy Land in February with our underwriting sponsor, Nativity Pilgrimage. Information is available at relevantradio.com slash Holy Land. That's relevantradio.com slash Holy Land. Tell one friend about the Chaplet of Divine Mercy. I'm not holding a small cup, Drew. I'm handing, <laughs> holding an extra large cup. A bucket. Every weekday at 4 Eastern, 1 Pacific on Relevant Radio. Yeah, hey, thanks for joining me. We will pray the chaplet. Hold out that big cup or that bucket, if you will. Pray big, ask big, believe strong. And we'll pray together for you in about, uh, about 10, 15 minutes. So always love to pray the chaplet with you. Tell somebody else, too. Today's a great day to do that. Just text somebody or email them or send them a tweet and say, hey, look, I know you're going through a tough time. Pray the chaplet. Spread, spread devotion to God's mercy. I'm telling you, you'll be blessed for it. But those who see it will also, those who encounter it will also be blessed. And there's a power when so many of us get together and implore God. So that's coming up in a few minutes. And it's always a honor and a privilege uh, for me to be able just to 
to pray with you like that. So it's um, I'm honored to do that. If you were just uh, tuned in, I was speaking to an author of a book on the assassination of John F. Kennedy. There has been 1,500 new documents recently released on his assassination. There's a lot of mystery that still surrounds the death of John F. Kennedy and Jack Ruby. And, you know, it's a moment in history. 60 years already have gone by. Uh, there's so much to talk about when it comes to the Kennedys. John F. Kennedy, some believe, actually went to confession the day of his assassination. And, you know, he lived kind of a, uh, according to experts, um, <clears throat> an, an immoral life. You know, he had illicit affairs, wasn't always faithful to Jackie. and uh, But there is pretty strong evidence that the morning before he took that bullet, he had he'd gone to confession. That's a whole other story I could tell you about. Um, but that's God's mercy too, isn't it? I pray to God that I go to confession the day before I draw my final breath. And what, what a privilege, what a blessing that would be. He went to confession and received the Eucharist on the same day. <clears throat> the question that surrounds the Kennedys, were they cursed? If you look at their life, it's it's pretty strange. Uh, the tragedy that, that has besieged the family. And, and again, you might say, oh, I don't believe in them. I mean, that's fine. I mean, is there such a thing as generational curses? Do family trees, do they need healing and deliverance if there's sin and, and evil in them. It's a controversial notion. You know, I, there's a, I think it's gaining currency though amongst a lot of priests and laity uh, that, that misfortune and illness and even spirits can be passed down through the generations. There's one expert who I used to have on the program all the time. His name is Father John Hamsch. There's another priest, Father Robert DeGrandis, that uh, they, they often see families who are plagued by afflictions. Right. And it, you'll see divorce run throughout a family. Right. Or you'll see psychological disorders or alcoholism or or strange accidents or suicide. There seems to be a common thread. You know, I, I remember one woman calling me and she talked about how three or four members of her family had all taken their lives. I mean, what what's going on there? The argument for it is this, that sin from past uh, generations from forefathers or others brush you know, those brushes with evil can allow in darkness that visits at least to the third or fourth generation. If such a curse is not broken, you know, uh, a lot of people say, I don't buy it at all. Um, how, why should I be accountable for the sins of my father? Although some would say, hey, the sins of our first parents are, are, are travel down the, the family line, so to speak. Right. We know the original sin and what it has done. In the case of the Kennedys, there's been a History of bootlegging. Uh, they were involved in a lot of unsavory business deals uh, over the years. Whether or not that led to a curse, uh, who knows? But let me just take you through just a little bit of their history. I have a couple minutes here. Um, if if you look at the life of the Kennedys, the, their whole family, it it, it is strange. Um, yeah, Joseph and Rose Kennedy, they were the builders of the family. Uh, you know, they, they built a the fortune. They saw just unbelievable loss. Their son Joseph was killed in a plane crash during World War II. Then Rosemary Kennedy, who was their daughter, she was institutionalized because of uh, some sort of mental problems she had and a failed lobotomy, right? Can you imagine lobotomies? Uh, their, their other daughter, Kathleen, she too died in a plane crash. John F. Kennedy, the 35th president, as we just talked about, assassinated where? Dallas, Texas. Robert Kennedy, his brother, he was assassinated in Los Angeles just four and a half years later. Uh, Patrick Bouvier Kennedy, 
born prematurely to the president and his wife. They died three months before the father's assassination. John F. Kennedy Jr., America's prince, right? I remember covering this when I first got into radio. I went to Hyannisport. He lost his life at 38 in a fateful plane crash just off the coast of Massachusetts. Right? He was flying at night. They think he got disoriented. Other members of the Kennedy family and their offspring, they weren't immune. They would suffer similar pain. They'd suffer incredible loss. So I raised the question, is it possible that a family and its future generations can be cursed? Do curses, do they hold any basis in reality? Should we believe in them? You know, as history, I think, all too clearly reveals, um, apparently the Kennedys certainly suffered in unbeknown ways, you know. Can a family be cursed with sickness or financial difficulty or personal belief? I remember the great preacher Billy Graham once saying, who are we to question God's master plan, right? In every situation, every moment, uh, there's always the possibility of creation of new direction. We have our faith. We have the sacraments. I don't believe fate has control over us. Um, I believe God does. Uh, but it does raise some questions for you to think about. It really does. I think one of the things we should contemplate is uh, those who've gone before us. And so often they're forgotten. One of the things you can do for that loved one is pray. You know, have masses offered for them. Maybe as we are about to pray the chapel of divine mercy, maybe offer the chaplet for that soul. You know, God is outside of time and those prayers in that critical moment could make an eternal difference. See how those problems that are plaguing you, see how they perhaps will change. Prayer can do that. All right. I've got to take a short break. When I come back, we'll pick our beads up. We'll implore God's great mercy. And we'll pray for those who are in need and those who've gone before us. 